I, I preamble preamble. And that's how I like to preamble everything. <laughs> no, that was good. I was like, wow, this this is. I feel like you were like maybe reading off a script or something. No, 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 no. I I just I just do what I do. Well, let's try the preamble uh, here. Welcome to the Age of Cinema. I'm Jack. Um, for those of you who haven't listened uh, uh, to the series in a while, this is our local vocal series. This is where uh, I speak with local filmmakers and actors, writers, dancers, painters. Uh, if you throw darts really well, I'll have you there. Uh, and uh, the reason why uh, we're recording today is we have a return guest. Uh, this is a gentleman who, if you go back and listen to Local Vocal number five, uh, we had a conversation uh, around the time that uh, you had just finished uh, writing a book. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Uh, can you remind me what was that title called again? Called it was a, Demiurge. It a, Demiurge, yes. Yeah, that, like one of the weirdest titles I've ever heard <laughs> for a book. And, um, and now he's back here today uh, because he has uh, directed his first film, I believe. And uh, we'll talk about that and some other things. I'm pleased to have back the actor and filmmaker, Devin Kloss. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so when I was listening back on our, uh, our last conversation, uh, you had mentioned at the time that you had actually, you'd written a couple of screenplays mm -hmm. and you were working on another one. Uh, so this film, uh, that now is, uh, uh, playing festivals and, uh, and we'll talk about uh, the next uh, festival that's coming up, uh, in the immediate future, uh, to kind of promote that. Um, was that one of the scripts? So this script actually... I had the idea for it when we were talking, but I hadn't written it yet. Oh, okay. And what's funny is I had literally, maybe two or three weeks before that podcast, had seen the the thing that became the germ of the idea. It was a 60 Minutes piece where basically they were interviewing, I think it was archaeologists and some forensic scientists about how carbon dating things isn't 100% accurate. Hmm. And when you go to see like King Tut stuff or things from that from that time period... It's not a hundred percent the right. Like it'll be within a hundred or two hundred years of it, but they'll be like, no, no, no. This is exactly you know five hundred BC, oh. and then it's actually like, well, it might be two hundred BC or it might be eight hundred BC, and I thought that was kind of fascinating because it's like clearly somebody along the way just said, screw it, put it in there, it doesn't matter. Now, is that only for artifacts, or is that also for things like like bones, like dinosaur bones? Bones, I think there can be a lot more specific on because I think they actually can like break the bone and, and do all that kind of stuff, but it's hard to break an artifact put it back together and stuff right, like that right. so it's a little more of a general guess with that but it still was just weird to me because it's like we take this as gospel that it's like no this was from this time period and then it might have been a hundred years before a hundred years after and at a certain point everybody's dead so it's not like someone's going to come right. be like that wasn't from my year <laughs> so it became a question of yeah. what like what's the truth relative to what you have to actually tell people well that's always well also history can be so fluid too i mean a lot of things that were in history books 50 years ago sure not necessarily is relevant now or or things are left out of history always very conveniently right right what we have today um so that was i guess you could say that was a germ of the idea yeah i saw that and for about six months i was just sort of like sitting on it trying to trying to just figure out what i wanted to do with this idea and then actually the reason i ended up writing this script and it went forward was me and a friend of mine, he's actually the uh, executive producer, this guy, Mehdi Barachian. Okay. Um, we were just talking one day, and we were both kind of lamenting at how, you know, we, we're both actors. We've gone on numerous auditions and felt 
constantly like we weren't seeing good work. So we were like, why don't we just make something? Mm. And after a while, you know, he was like throwing some ideas around. I was throwing some ideas around. And then I came back to this idea and I sort of was like, how can I actually shoot this? Clearly, I don't have the budget to go to like Jordan or Dubai and like have all these sequences of digging in the (laughs) desert. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to. You're not gonna make like a mummy movie, or right? Exactly. Like that. I mean, as much as I'd love to, but I was <laughs> well, like, you'd ha- certainly, you'd probably make a better mummy movie than the the Tom Cruise oh, one. The <laughs> less said about that, the better. Which, by the way, um, that yes. whole monster run, like, did they, <laughs> did they kill that already? I mean, I know they made probably one, well, maybe well, two. Well, what happened was the supposed like creative heads of like what was supposed to be the, it called like the Dark Universe. That's what I it was. think that they've already stepped aside and i think uh <laughs> maybe one of the movies isn't even getting made and like boy oh god it's like just stop trying to make your universe well right i mean they see this they see marvel they see star wars and they say oh we can make something that can have 30 movies oh, great especially marvel i think right. that's the one that really uh has everyone trying like you know because last year they even tried to make like a king arthur universe that's right i didn't but, even i didn't see that movie but <laughs> oh oh i remember hearing about that really <laughs> oh i saw that i actually reviewed it for the podcast and i think was that charlie hunnam like i yeah i like charlie hunnam as an actor but did you see lost world uh, lost city of z yeah that was really good i enjoyed him in that a lot yeah so he can be good just clearly not as king arthur apparently mm, well guy in guy Ritchie's king arthur no. oh that's right it was guy Ritchie. <laughs> that enough said yeah enough said um but getting back to idol worship okay sure. so so you knew so and i know this from you know being an independent filmmaker and being around other filmmakers mm-hmm. so i guess in your head now do you start thinking about okay what can i shoot what, what do i have available Pretty much. I mean, I, I had I had some money saved. I raised a little bit of money all privately. Like I'm not huge in the public donations realm. I just okay. I just feel weird about asking people for money for my idea. Like if it's something mm. for the betterment of a lot of people, great, let's raise some money. But if it's like for my movie, I feel weird asking for donations from like the public. Hmm. I'd rather take it from a, like either a company that does that or has like has deeper pockets that it's not a huge loss if they give me a couple grand. So basically. You know, I wrote this script kind of with an, an idea in mind of what I could shoot, right? What what kind of budget it would be, and then it was just calling in favors left and right, like all the camera gear, a lot of the mics and stuff like that. We basically just I pulled all the favors I had just to sort of get it wow. under. I mean, I think the total budget ends up being about twenty thousand. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, because there are there are a few locations in in the film. Yeah. Um. There, there's the place that. Uh, was it that I think Zach's character works at? Yes, at the warehouse, which that actually, so the funny story about that is that is a warehouse that actually does make chairs and legs for chairs. <laughs> so that, that, that wasn't even in the script until we got there. And then we were talking about it. And as we were pulling up, the actors were like, what, what, what do they make here? And I was like, oh, they make legs for chairs. And they're like, are you serious? And I brought them in and they looked around and they're like, we have to use this. Like, this has to be what this place so, is. So that was all improvised? It was improvised in that it wasn't in the script. Like, we, we sort of like curb your enthusiasm. Like, we had an idea of, okay, you're going to kind of say this. This will lead to that. What you actually so, say. So, so in the script, was it something else was going to happen there? It was just, was it... it was basically, they pull up, Zach's character comes out, they go inside. There wasn't any real dialogue. Okay. So that little sequence where they're like, oh, what, what is this? They make legs. Legs for chairs? Yeah. That's a business? Like, that was just the actors riffing on each other in that moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
your script, like you, you're you're sometimes open if, if your actor comes up with a good idea. Oh yeah, to run with something. I mean, I I've always been of the opinion that the script's important. By all means, like don't just make up new scenes. But I don't believe that I know all the time what the actors should say, what the character mm. should sound like. Like I have an idea what kind of person they are, what they'd like or don't like. But in the moment, you let the actor kind of feel what would be the most realistic response to something. And then we sort of have a die saying previously. I, I usually like to do, you know, one or two, you know, t takes with the script. Uh, from the 60 Minutes article. Mm -hmm. um, now, from that, are you kind of working out, okay, do I... Because the story of the movie, for those... I'm, I'm sure a lot of us listening don't know... Uh, involves these uh this guy who works with another digger mm -hmm. and they have the, like the big presentation they have to give that day right and you know but he realizes oh no i have to uh get my notes and then series of mishaps happen right. one after another after another and uh and he's i guess you could call it a kind of a wild goose chase yeah but, uh, yeah i don't know if that's accurate and you know he, he kind of tries to get some friends to help and um, there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a bad iPhone. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like Steve Jobs is haunting this guy from the grave. For um, not upgrading. He still has, I think, a five or a four S in the thing. Oh, so. uh, what was that in the script? Yeah, it's like early in. They're like, "What is this? A four? And he's like, "It's a four S." <laughs> and they're like, "You oh. don't even have the iPhone that has the new bad jack." <laughs> right. Exactly. Yours is pre all that stuff. Um, but but yeah, so. Now, how you developed the story, like, was this, did you go about it, like, how you did with uh, the other scripts you wrote, or is this... Yeah, different? I mean, I tend to write my scripts in a very similar way, like, I'll have a general idea, and then I, I have, like, a corkboard that I'll just sort of sometimes write characters or scraps of ideas in a bunch of little note cards, and then as I'm writing, I'll sort of pull them off, mm. assemble them in an order, and see, like, oh, this is an interesting sequence to kind of go from there. Some ideas I don't even use, I put back. And a lot of it comes down to, I like to write a script that feels natural. Like, I, I hate going to a movie where you feel smarter than the characters at all times. Right. So I always try to think about, like, all right, they just said this. Would they logically go to this place? Or would they say that? Or would they do this? So I'm, I'm always very hyper aware of, like, the internal logic of a script. And that's why, like, I had to have a character that didn't have a phone that worked. Because, I mean... We, we kind of make that joke that, like, 90% of the movies pre-2005 would be solved if some character had a cell phone. Yeah. Right, so it's right. sort of, I tried, I tried to find a way to avoid that mishap of, like, just call the guy. So it's, yeah, like, because lose then the other, phone. Because otherwise then you have to try to explain, uh, oh, no, I can't get reception. Right. Da, 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 da. And it's, it's the kind of character beat that just, I, I don't know if it kills the momentum of the movie, but... I guess it kind of does kill, like, the fun. Right. It kills the fun of, like, going on this this journey if you're just like, no, don't go there, just come here. Like, it, it sort of loses the entire plot if you're just like, just come to the office and we'll figure it out there. Yeah, and also the fact that, you know, he just met this girl, too. Right, right. That, that, he's, trying to, that he's trying to call but can't, you know, every time she calls him, it's right. like, yeah. Um, now, uh, so, now did you, what's interesting, too, and I was talking about this before we recorded, uh, so the runtime of the movie, uh, you could talk about that because it's um, about 50 minutes, mm -hmm. give or take a couple, depending on speed of the credits. Right, right. Uh, we were talking about <laughs> that. Um, now, had you intended this originally to be more of a short, or is it like going to be maybe a longer feature? Because it's 
kind of 50 minutes is a little bit of a strange t- like right. time where it's almost i guess if it was a tv pilot maybe that'd be one thing right like a one hour pilot or something but if it's trying to fit into a feature thing it's a little short right you that. can pad out a little few i mean what was funny was when we were breaking the script before we started shooting i actually had that conversation with with Medi and a couple of the other producers about are we going to sell this as a as a film or as a tv pilot and I'm a snob. I like film. Like, yeah. I'm a film person. Like, oh, I no, want to no, make movies. So I was like, it's a film. It's a film. It's a film. It's a film. And so, like, as soon as we finished and we're looking at it, they're like, this feels like a TV pilot. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> but um, the reason that it's kind of in this weird nebulous zone and the reason that the credit time varies is depending on the film festival we were submitting to, like you said, 50 minutes is a weird time. And for some festivals, that means it's a short and for others, it means it's a feature. Mm. And we kind of decided early in that we were actually going to try to push it as a short feature, meaning it's a feature length, but it's a short feature. Because right. we realized if we put it in as a short, it's going to be up against movies that are like three minutes long, seven minutes long, ten minutes long. And programmers are not going to want to take our one 50-minute yes. movie yes. when they could take seven ten-minute movies Even or something them, like that. sometimes 25 minutes is too long right. for them. You know, and I've, I've experienced that sometimes. Right. So that was this decision where we're like, it's a feature, it's just a short feature. And that's why we some, for some festivals, in order to get it over the line to be a feature, we needed to make the credits run excruciatingly slow. Mm. Now, but in the in the course of writing it, did you intend it to be that length, though? Was it just kind of, that's how it came out in the end? Yeah, in my, I mean, the original, original script was much longer. Okay. It was probably about 80 pages. And then just over the course of figuring out the budget and certain details, we just cut it, cut it, cut it. Because but with the other thing that I did and I like to do before I shoot, I like to have readings with the cast right. and kind of talk it through and talk through what beats feel right, what characters feel underdeveloped, those sort of things. And what was funny was it just over the course of maybe five readings, we cut down from, yeah, like 75, 80 pages to whatever. I think it ended up being about a 50 page script, like a 45 to 50 page script. And I guess in my head, I thought certain sequences would maybe run a little longer because I thought ideally it would be like a 60 minute, fi- like a film, like a 60 minute movie. And when we ended up being done with edit and it was for, I think 49.50 was like the actual runtime. Yeah, the cut I watched was 47, I think. Okay. Which I think we ended up cutting, we cut a few little bits here and there just to kind of like punch up some jokes and things like that. But... I mean, if I could go back, there were two or three other scenes I would have shot. But the other thing that always happens is, I'm sure you know, is yeah. you run out of time. Everybody's does it have like different schedules. Because the other thing that was funny, we shot this the week of the election. Oh. So what actually was funny was oh, that that must have been a that must have been a mood on set. Well, what happened was our first oh. day was the day before election day. So everybody's like kind of in a good mood, like all right, things are gonna be okay, and then. Election day happens, and I remember getting a phone call from one of the actors, and he was just like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, well, obviously, I'm, I'm happy. Let's try. Let's shoot. But I'm just not feeling it today. And then yeah. I kind of took a like a poll with other people, and they were all like, yeah, I just feel really down. So I ended up just calling the day. I was like, just take a mental day today, yeah. guys. We'll come back tomorrow. So that was like one day we lost right there. And then there was some it weather was like, issues. It, the election and... itself was like a, like a storm. Yeah, that it was exactly. <laughs> it just it just knocked the whole production down a day. But I I totally understood and got that because it's like you don't want to work on anything if your heart's not in it. 
if your mind is yeah. elsewhere and everybody's mood is just sort of like down. An actor needs to prepare, and if you don't, if you're not really prepared in the headspace right. that was seen, then right, it's going to come out as forced or just not there. And also, I think because also the tone of the movie, it's not like for the most part, it's not like a super dark thing. I mean, we'll talk right. about there may be one or two scenes where it gets a little dark, right? But for the most part, it has a little bit more of like a um. Almost reminded me of like one of those movies from the '90s where you're kind of just following characters. Along oh, awesome! Kind of thing, Great, like that. Um, you know, very hip kind of sounding characters in a good way. Um, okay, so how many shooting days was it? I believe minus that day ended up being seven total shooting days. Well, so okay. we shot it pretty quick, and again, that was because of people's schedules. Even my schedule, like we just found this chunk of time where everybody was free for seven straight days. And we're like, we just got to plow through and do it. Oh, okay. So it wasn't the kind of thing of we'll go and do it on weekends or something no. like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which was nice. Because, I, I mean, I, I totally understand why people have to do that. But I, I, I sometimes think art has a momentum to itself that, like, once you're in it, you really want to just plow through until you're done. At least for one, you know, one take of it. You can always have pickups and things like that. But... I think for the bulk of shooting, you want to get everybody together because a big thing for me, obviously, is chemistry. And so I felt like it was important to get these actors comfortable with each other in a room. And by like day four, day five, you felt that the rhythm of the dialogue of just the way they interacted with each other was so much more natural. Yeah, that's I think Tom Hanks once said, like, he doesn't feel like he's really making the movie until three days in. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, and he and he's nice guy Tom Hanks. If he says it, it's gotta be true. Right, exactly. <laughs> um yeah, God, but yeah, it's gotta be crazy to try to shoot on election day. Or, or the day after the day after was when I was especially like well, it was like, real I, suddenly. All of a sudden, you were like, maybe I dream, dreamt it. And then you woke up and you're like, no, no, no it's I got, real. <laughs> no, I got the breaking news alert on my phone and I was like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> no, I had to go to work. Oh, gee. I had to go to work and I had to teach a class. And I, I remember I actually, uh, I, I just scrapped what I was originally going to do. And I just talked like Trump with my students. Oh, uh, well, it's because it's what's on everybody's <laughs> mind. And I also remember, too, um, I, I was kind of doing a series uh, on the podcast. Uh, it was called uh, the Cinema Immersion Tank. Okay. It was like this. It was this year-long project uh, me and my co-host Andrew were doing, where um, we would switch off, and each of us, uh, the idea is that for five days straight, you watch the same movie each day. Oh, so interesting. So you watch the movie five days, five times, five days in a row. Um, it's like again, you're immersing yourself so much into it, like a like a sensory deprivation tank. Right. <laughs> Where, like, by the end of it, you're just completely insane. And, you've, <laughs> and it's all you've you can think, things. right. Um, and, you know, and we did it for this movie and that movie. Um, I had, I wasn't really thinking about the election, but really, like, it, obviously it was there and happening right. for me. Um, the movie that I was watching uh, during the week of the, the election for the Cinema Immersion Tank was... Uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. <laughs> okay. The, da the David Lynch yeah. Twin Peaks movie from the with 90s. David Bowie, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, not a not a movie <laughs> that I really enjoyed having to plow through no. as this was happening. But I I did it because I had to. Right. Um. <laughs> God, that was just uh, you know, try watching that, which is a very sad movie, yeah. and then you know, like being in the country when you're so sad 
Yeah, in a weird way, it's like a weird parallel universe that sort of aligned itself. Yeah, I mean, the only good part of that is I've, I've found that in the last year, it has given me uh, some creative spark. Oh, uh, sure. For, for more ideas and, and projects, you know, because it's like when you're in a when you're in a space like like that, you want to create. You, yeah. Like artists need to kind of, I feel like, need to do stuff to to comment on or, or fight against what there's what's happening. Absolutely. I mean, as much as I wish he wasn't president, I mean, it, it's galvanized a lot of people. It, I think it's renewed people's interest in democracy. I think yeah. it's renewed people's interest in fighting back and just not being comfortable anymore. Because I think that yeah. was the issue is we got very comfortable and everybody was kind of like, well, you know, he won't win. And then when he did, people were suddenly like, "But wait, wait, what? This yeah. this happened?" And then <laughs> and there, suddenly, and there are so many reasons we could that could be all right. other podcasts, right? For sure. Um, now, uh, I guess uh, when we talked last time, um, in terms of directing, I know that you had you had kind of been part of this one strange project that was almost more like a series the fog of uh, yeah, something or whatever. <laughs> the fog of time. Yeah, we talked about that, but that was a whole other thing that wasn't yeah. even really a movie um so going into this um uh was it uh did you find the transition though at all difficult in terms of trying to or did your experience as an actor kind of help you with that i mean i think for sure it was a new experience like I, i've directed smaller things never anything of this scale and the only thing i really went into knowing was that i think a director has to have an answer for every question. Yeah. Even if it's not the right answer, they just have to have an answer to keep the conversation moving. Because if the director's like, uh, then the whole cast and crew is like, well, why is this guy in charge? Yeah. So that was my, my real modus operandi was like, no matter what, I have to have an idea for what this is supposed to look like and then answers to every question. And then from there, it was just a matter of bringing the right people in, hiring the right people and that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. And you have a, a pretty good cast. Uh, that 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 lead uh with Keith Panzarella? Yes, who's a Tom? who's a long 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 childhood friend of mine. Oh, really? Yeah, I've known him actually so funny story about him. I've known him probably my entire life, well, his entire life. He's a couple years younger than me. And early on he was really good friends with my sister. And I used to ignore him. <laughs> because I was like, "Oh, you're some young you're my sister's friend, you're some young kid. Go away." You're like girls. <laughs> and then basically my senior year of high school, he was a freshman and we both did the school play together, and that was the first time that I was like, "Oh, this this kid's pretty cool." And then from that point forward, we've been like really good friends, collaborating on all sorts of things. Now, but for about 10 years, I was just like, "I don't even care that you're in my house. Go away." Like that kind of thing. Did you did you write the the character with him in mind? No. So I the, the first in the first iteration of this, I was gonna play the lead, and we oh, were gonna okay. we were gonna get a different director, and then all the directors we reached out to were too expensive or didn't have enough time. So then it ended up flipping, and I was like, well, why don't I direct? But I'm not gonna direct myself. So we needed we needed a leading actor, and I the reason I got Keith was because I I find him to be that perfect combination of sincere, a little bewildered. But you root for him. like you're not you're never watching him and thinking that you don't want this to work out for him. You, he always he has that kind of face where no matter what happens, you want it to work out for him. And the other thing that I always enjoy about him is he plays flustered very well. Mm. He's one of those actors that like yeah. if you put him in a room and stuff's going crazy, just hold the camera on him because he's going <laughs> to give you an interesting reaction to that. Yeah, that was something I picked up on yeah. through, through the movie. Like, and that's you know if he doesn't get that right, then right it's not it the doesn't character. read correctly, right? 
<coughs> now, how um, how to go about finding the other actors? Like, do you when you do you when you do you audition them? Do you just have a conversation? I tend to not like auditioning. Believe it or not, part of it's because I guess as an actor, I hate the audition process. I hate the right. I hate this sort of just cold where it's just like next you're out and you never know why. So after I wrote the script, like I had a bunch of actors in mind. I reached out to some, and then for some of the other parts, I got recommendations from people. So I, I try to always look for people that a they're sincere on camera, b they're interesting on camera, and c they're not afraid to have a little fun, like try things that are different or go out of their comfort zone. Because the biggest thing I think with acting is you want to just you want to be free and you want to be present on camera. Mm. Obviously, some actors you know need all kinds of special things and circumstances, but like I just like an actor who's just going to show up and be ready to play that day and right. see what they're going to do. Bring bring ideas with them, but it's like, hey, maybe we're, why don't we try this whole scene where I don't even see you but we hear you, like things like that, and they're right. not going to be like, well, what do you mean I don't get a close up? Like that well, kind of stuff well, I don't well, want. Well, especially too, and uh, you know, this is something I've experienced in the world of you know very low budget filmmaking it's also you have just such a, a limited amount of time right it's one thing if if you get if you're like david fincher and you get to right shoot countless takes or something right. or something like all right i need to see your hand move there for like the 60th time that's, right <laughs> that's exactly thing. but it's like we got 20 know. minutes we have to do five shots and let's not, go and not right. only that too like you also i don't know if you did this intentionally or not but having so much uh, stuff with uh, car scenes yes you're kind of also giving yourself a challenge because what if the weather changes up on you oh for sure and you know you're you're <laughs> it's all supposed to be one day too i know well that was the car stuff when i first wrote the script didn't even dawn on me and then as we were breaking it i went like half this movie's in a car why did i do that <laughs> and even as we were getting up to production the, the dp that i hired Corey, who's brilliant kid who's like he was like a couple years out of film school super resourceful and one of those guys that just no matter what it was he's like yeah i got an answer and so what we ended up doing was we used my car and Good. we rigged that's, it that, that's always the way I thought. yeah well because it was I've like if it crashes hey all right it's my car <laughs> and you have the insurance yeah exactly and so in order to shoot a lot of the stuff we were shooting in queens and in brooklyn in top of manhattan and so he basically rigged this like planks with a bunch of two by fours and then a bunch of um not not zip ties but um those like crank whatever those are called when you when you have to like really tie something tight and you can kind of like crank it to make it super yeah, tight I, I think i know what i forget doing. what they're called but like they're they're almost used for people that are like mountain climbing yes like clamps and so we basically clamped the camera to that and then just had the actors drive around neighborhoods with this thing sticking out about four feet into the street so, so you kind of rigged this mount that was just not really a car mount. Correct. I mean, it was it was safe and we tested it, but the thing was obviously we had to be aware that it was sticking out into traffic. Well, I was going to say too, and, and you're driving around New York City, right? You know, what if you hit like the one glaring pothole you don't see? Well, right, exactly. That that was the biggest fear was like the things we can't plan for, and we just got so super lucky that both days that we were really shooting car stuff, it was a nice day. I mean, also, you know, it's November, so it could have snowed. It could have been yeah. anything. And we got so lucky with the weather. I mean, we had a built-in other day that we could use if we needed it. We luckily didn't need it for that. But it ended up just being just fortunate that the whole time we were in the car, everything we shot, smooth. We didn't hit anybody. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> yeah. The camera didn't fall off. I mean, because the other, the other thing we had initially talked about was so... Um, one of our producers thought he would be able to get 
like a car rig where you basically get like a like a truck and then you rig the like yeah. how they shoot on like Fast and Furious where you basically have the car is being driven by another car right and then you just sort of have the camera attached to the, like it's basically like mm-hmm. you have like a almost like a bunch of cars driving in a in a row and obviously when we really thought about that it's like well then we'd need to close a street and then we'd need to have extra drivers and we're like that's going to cost need to get, then way also, more money then you also need to get a permit and get right. insurance and all that right so at the at the end of the day it was like do we just kind of go guerrilla style risk it and you know let fate take us where it will or where it will or do we find an extra 30 grand and so mm-hmm. we said let's take a risk so so when you're shooting those car scenes cuz cuz i've shot car stuff too like our because and, and you have a lot of times it's usually three or four people in right the car. Well, yeah so were you did you find a way to get yourself into the car or were you having to kind of just trust that they were doing it was it a okay? mix whenever whenever it was a, a two shot in the front or the back seat or singles i was in the car whenever yeah. you saw three or more people i couldn't be in the car because that's where the camera had yeah. to be and the person i actually feel worst for was our sound guy oh god yeah. he was in the trunk the well, whole time well that's yeah, I I forget if I had, I don't remember if we if I had a if I my sound guy had to go in the trunk for anything when I shot my feature, but but yeah, it's always very tight yeah. too. Like and especially if uh, you know, and your DP has to then settle and try to make sure he has the right right motion and. So it ended up being just again like very fortunate. No one got hurt. The biggest thing that I I did after that was as soon as we were done, I I went over to our sound guy, bought him a, a back massage. <laughs> <laughs> because he was such a trooper and like we tried our best like we put him in the trunk we, tr- we put down pillows and we're like we tried to make like a nest for him but he's still in the trunk yeah. of a car and yeah, we're, ma- we're driving around so it's now, like did he have i guess were all the actors lobbed and yeah then he was there was there were there were lobs we put a couple lobs that were like hidden in the visor he had like the the, uh, the little mixing bag with him in the trunk doing a little bit of leveling and it just again, it was it was it could have gone so much worse than it did in so many ways. And in hindsight, I don't know if I would have done it that way again. I might have written written a different script where there's a lot less car stuff. But I'm just the thing that I, I really wanted to get across was it's a New York story. New York is always about energy and this frenetic sort of need to get here or there. Yeah. And I, I personally, because I have a car, my New York experience is always driving. Yes. And so that's why I wrote it from the point of view of a character that would either have a car or have access to one. I know most New Yorkers would be like, just take the train or take, you know, the subway or Uber, but I don't do any of that stuff. Well, well, that's also, uh, uh, th- th- that's the joke that kind of kicks off the movie. Right. Um, you know, he, he kind of, the character, main character, uh, here's Uber and he's like, what the fuck is Uber? Right. <laughs> But you explain that pretty well because this guy is... He's been away for so yeah, many years. Yeah, he's very right. out of it. And so it's like, yeah, he wouldn't know what, what right. the hell Uber is. Because I, I like to think, like, imagine if you... I mean, it's not quite this drastic, but, like, imagine if you were in a coma for two to three years and then you woke up and then all of a sudden everybody's talking about this thing. You've never heard of it because you've been out of the game. I think probably waking up from a coma and finding out Trump's president would right. be even more distressing. Oh, sure. They'd be like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. How, what? <laughs> what did we lose? Like, how did this happen? Um, but no, that yeah, that, that's a that, that was a funny thing uh, with with that. Um, now going back to the acting though. So originally, as you said, you, you wrote the lead for yourself, mm-hmm. but then you had to kind of change that around. Now you're you actually do play a role in the movie. I do, and I'm not going to spoil it for for anyone that's going to go watch the movie. But you have kind of a very pivotal role at one yes. point. Um, 
how how did you decide to to play that? Because you were talking about how I never know if I wanted to direct myself, but mm-hmm. you kind of were. Well, the good thing about that was by the time we reached that scene, we had shot most of the movie, and so I was able to kind of let not let, but our I had a wonderful AD named Maureen, who's also a director. She's more of a theater director, and I kind of wanted to let other people you know because the other thing about these kind of movies is everybody collaborates so everybody got to kind of try different things obviously our dp did all the camera work but other people got to kind of give their input onto like oh what about this kind of shot what about that kind of shot lighting and things like that so when it came to do my big scene i basically told them i was like i'm just an actor in this scene let the ad let my Mm. producer let them direct me like obviously i know how the character should sound what the beat should be like but in terms of performance and levels like that we had a monitor like just off screen that they were watching the whole time and they were able to kind of give me notes. Um, but then are you also, but then you're playing the scene with, with the lead. Are you giving right. him notes? Not really. I mean, but again, by that point we had done most of his stuff. So we had a pretty good, a good idea of what oh. his character was. And my one big bugaboo is I don't like actors giving other actors notes. So mm. if I'm an, if I'm an actor in that scene, even if I'm the director in that moment, like unless it's something glaring that feels like off in the rest of the movie, I was just sort of content to let the other people who were watching in that capacity give him the notes and be sort of mm-hmm. more on top of that. Was there a rehearsal for that? Or? Oh, yeah. We oh. basically, the way we shot that, because it's, it's a long scene, it's, it's, it kind of, we cut it up and so it's like happens over the course of about 10 minutes in the movie, but we shot it as long takes. So yeah. it's just like a long on me and then a long on him and then long sort of like double shots. And it's quite a monologue, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, again, I'm not going to spoil what you say or what happens in it. It's a little bit of like your Colonel Kurtz moment. <laughs> well, yeah. So the, the two... Was that in mind at all? Yes, very much. The two things that, that I got that I used as inspiration was, was Kurtz, especially in the lighting, and then um, Gene Wilder's monologue in Blazing Saddles when he's talking about how he was first uh, shot when he was yeah. walking out of the saloon and the little boy said... Like, reach for it, mister. And then he got shot in the ass. Like, <laughs> I kind of like the way that built because it was, like, super serious, super, like, oh, wow, this is so depressing. And then punchline. And then the whole rest of it's kind of absurd. So that that was sort of the the impetus for that monologue. Yeah, because well, it's also the one point. It's also a point in the movie where, oh, no, there actually is, like, a serious thing going on right. in this story uh, where a lot of, you know, thing, fun things have been happening no, there's actually like a real dramatic turn that happens. Right, right. And that was important to me because I, I tend to think, you know, life has comedy and drama, obviously. So if it's something's kind of veering towards just comedy, my instinct is to like, let's make it more dramatic. Vice versa. If something's going super dramatic, how can we undercut it with some comedy? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, had you did you rehearse uh, the other th- scenes as well? Some. I mean, uh, like you were saying, sometimes we just didn't have the time to do a lot of rehearsals. Mm. I mean, that that's why the, the read-throughs were so key, because okay. by then, most of the actors already had a pretty good idea of what they, you know, how they were going to play, what they sounded like, the, the sort of backstory on things. And then the other thing that I did ahead of time, didn't tell all the actors this, but there were certain days where they weren't called for the whole day mm. and I would just approach them before they were done for the day and say, Hey, do you mind like sticking around for another hour or two and just have the actors hang out on set hmm. and just get to know each other a little better. Oh, okay. Huh, so, you know, hang out at craft or hang out, you know, watch the monitor just, but just like be present and also just get to know the other actors because the biggest thing is by the end of the movie, you want to feel like they're friends or at least beginning to be friends. Yeah. So did you shoot it in order? No, we jumped around a lot. Okay. But, 
I, I mean, I definitely kept the big group scenes for last because oh. that was where most of the interaction was going to be. So all of the introduction and the early stuff was towards the beginning, <clears throat> but most most of the time, you know, it kind of came down to what was available, mm. like what what set was available that day. And it also seemed like uh, I really enjoyed uh, the guy who plays uh, the main character's uh, partner. Uh, like you only see him in like almost it looks like a boardroom. Yes, but like every time he's just like very bombastic and right. very like like that big guy. We kind of I mean the joke we kind of had was that imagine right before this phone call came that you did a bump of cocaine <laughs> or something like either that or you did like five Red Bulls or had like some kind of supercharged energy drink and that's why you're constantly moving, constantly in motion. And the thing that I liked about that character was initially I didn't want him to be the villain. Like you didn't, you don't necessarily think this guy's the villain for the first half of the movie. You're sort of just like, Oh, this is just some crazy boss. Mm -hmm. And then as the movie progresses, you sort of see that there's maybe a more nefarious side to him. That sort of plays out corporate problems. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was funny though. A couple of things I noticed, uh, how, um, as you said, you were trying to shoot in a lot of different places in New York Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole, I think around the opening of the movie is in uh, Inwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the whole chunk's in Inwood and then at the Cloisters and all these sort of like just, I, I mean, I think they're just beautiful parts of New York City that people don't necessarily even know exist. Now, I know you meant, now Inwood actually is said in the movie, had you, did you have an idea of like, okay, I want to shoot here, here, and here? Like yes. I mean, obviously, it, it came down to availability. Like, mm-hmm. I had written it for Inwood, and then I had written a whole other sequence for New Jersey. Oh. And then it just, we didn't have available time to get to New Jersey. And then the what ended up happening was a lot of the spaces, I just named them where they were. Because I was like, we can't fake that this isn't New York City or that this isn't Long Island or Queens. Mm-hmm. So just say that it's Queens because there, it's, there, we're here in Queens. I would say there there are parts of Brooklyn you can fake as Newark. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I appreciate that as a, you know, cause I, I used to work in Inwood and, uh, Oh, okay. It's and, beautiful. Up well, there. well, you know, I, this is a, it's a slight tangent, but when we, this is going, you know, again, years ago now when we shot losers, oh, we shot right. at the office, right? It was like um, 200th street or something like 212th that. Street, 212th street. And that street. was where uh, I used to work and my brother still works there. And, uh, yeah, that's where we shot the Magic the Gathering scene. That's right. We, we went right outside and <laughs> shot the uh, the Ghostbusters scene. Oh, my um, God. I forgot that that was all right there. Oh, okay. Because I, I wondered if maybe you had thought of that because no. of Losers. No, oh, that's wow. so funny. I just, like, I just, I find that part of Manhattan, like, so interesting because I feel like it's a bit underexplored. It hasn't been, like touched by the sort of corporate creep of midtown it's, it's and, and starting to it is a now a little bit like the, the the first starbucks has i think come to Italy. oh really uh, yeah and, <laughs> i mean uh, it's inevitable but no yeah well no gentrification it hasn't quite taken over yet but mm-hmm. yeah if you go around there yeah largely dominican population and very right. uh colorful yeah uh so that, that's a nice coincidence yeah and actually that's one of the i mean not to plug it but that's sure. one of the film festivals that it's in next week is the Inwood Film Festival. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, we can mention that really fast, and we'll mention it at the end of our conversation. Uh, so, so it's called the Inwood Film Festival. Yeah, I believe it's either the third or fourth annual, mm. and it, you know, it's a it's a full film festival. But they they were very big on like local people, either people from that area or movies that either shot some of it there or, or took place there. Oh. So when I you know 
pitched them my film and they saw it, they're like, oh, this is great. We love it. So I'm excited to, to screen for them next Saturday, I believe. Yeah. So is that in Inwood as yeah. well? What, what's the location? I believe it's in, it's either a school, because there's no um, movie theater up there. Right. So it's either at a school or like some kind of a, like a conference hall center. Like they, they, they have all the information on their website, but basically I think it's like they have a projector screen and it'll be like like a Q&A after, so it should be a lot of fun. Mm, okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that's nice. Um, and I know you said that there are other festivals that this is getting into too. I think it, it, had, it had its first screening last fall. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been kind of a long run. I mean, we, let me think about this. So we shot it, <coughs> excuse me, we shot it around election day 2016. And then it took about four and a half months to edit. Mm-hmm. So that it started, I started submitting it probably uh, like June, July of last year. And then it kind of steadily dribbled into about 15 to 20 festivals from there. And this is sort of the tail end of it. I mean, I don't know what the half-life is for movies when you, like, I, I feel like at a certain point you can't submit a movie you made 20 years ago to a film festival. So I might, after this, and then I have one more coming up in a couple weeks, I might sort of be like, all right, that's it for this film. And I already, I have a couple of pre-production things for a new movie that I'm putting together. So it'll kind of, that might be it for a while. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'll try to see if I can get it streaming somewhere or things like that. But it's been a good ride. It's been almost a year of just sort of putting it out into the world. Nice. Yeah. Um, And uh, now I just, uh, I'm curious too, um, in the end credits, Mm -hmm. I was hearing, uh, the, uh, music playing and i wanted to, i was just curious to ask was that your band some of it was yeah <laughs> that the, the lead guitar was in my band yeah because that sounded very much like oh i feel like i'm listening to like a really tight band ah well that's great so so was that but was that you on drums no so that that was actually this i'm gonna blank on the name of this band now but they this one band that puts uh some of their music tracks online for like free use and basically, so long as you credit them, so long as you don't, you know, sell it for like your own profit, which I didn't for this, you can sort of take a couple of their tracks and then dub in your own stuff on top of them. So I took their drum track, I took, I think, their bass line, and then I recorded over the guitar, recorded over a couple other parts to sort of layer it into that closing song. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you think you would ever put, because you have, we should mention too, and I might have talked about this in our first conversation, you're, you're a drummer in a band. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty awesome. It's it's called Reprimand. Correct. Is that okay? I'm glad I got the name right. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. actually, spoiler, there is a track from our band in the movie. Oh, okay. Maybe I need to I need to find where that is. Maybe it's just... um it's right after you meet Zach's character when they're walking through the warehouse on that dollying shot. You hear like another kind of like like guitar soloy kind of rock song, and that is actually our band playing. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. yeah so you're. Yeah, it, like someday you could be like uh, John Carpenter and like uh, have your entire <laughs> score over the entire. That movie. would be nice. <laughs> and the other actually fun fact about that: the character who, the act, well, I should say the 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 guy who owns that warehouse, mm-hmm. also plays that character in it, who fixes the phone and then gives the long hug. Oh, and that is also our lead guitar player. Mm. So you knew though, like, okay, we can get this warehouse because you you talked to the guy beforehand, mm-hmm. and all and that. I've used him in a lot of other like he he's a good friend of mine I've known for twenty years, mm. and the running joke is he's been in a bunch of my films, but he never speaks and you never see his face, so he's <laughs> kind of become this running gag that no matter what I shoot, you never actually see his face. Like you know it's him because he's he's very. 
tall. He's got kind of like a, mm. a a very distinct look to him. He looks kind of like Jesus. And so every time I've used him, it's either you see the back of his head or the side of his head or his face, but not his whole face. And so for this, mm. that's why the joke was you don't actually see his face. You just see him giving an extended hug to our to Tom and when he fixes the phone <laughs> and yeah so it was his warehouse and him playing guitar which I thought was kind of funny like it's it's like three layers of him at the same time it's his place he's playing guitar and there he is on screen yeah <laughs> <laughs> sort yeah sort of on screen wow right okay wow that's a that's a good piece of trivia yep so for all you idle heads out there yeah yeah that kind of reminds me of how in uh every uh almost every Sam Raimi movie he has to have like I think it's bruce campbell has to pop up somewhere right that makes sense in them uh yeah so um and so so you still see like you want to keep on directing again yeah i mean I've, I've been very fortunate because i've basically transitioned away from acting and more mm. towards writing and directing i've directed a couple of commercials i've written some other things for some people i've done some like script punch-ups for people so my goal now is to try to make that the bulk of my career obviously you know, in a perfect world, once you find the financing and things like that. But I just, I enjoyed the whole process of it. Like I, I learned early on that, you know, with my background in, in news and technical things like that, I, I can talk very easily to crew, to technical people. And I understand what they go through. I understand what kind of days they have, what they really want out of a director, what they really want out of a good shoot. So I sort of bring that to the table at all times. Like I always had a rule that no matter what we're doing, no matter how long a shoot's going, like everybody gets a really good breakfast, a really good dinner, not pizza. (laughs) Pizza's, you know, if if everybody swears they want pizza, great, we'll get pizza. But it's like I want you to have a real meal. I want you to really feel like you had a good day. I want you to feel like you're, you know, being asked your opinion and that you're you're you matter. I don't ever want anybody to be on the set and just sort of feel like, oh, I'm just here hanging out. Like even if you're there as a PA, I'm gonna ask your opinion on something or if you have an idea, come to me and we can talk about it. Okay. Oh yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. Well I hope well I hope occasionally you still pop up and stuff though, because you're you're a really good actor. I appreciate that. Actually, I mean I I shouldn't say I'm not acting because I am in a play. Oh, okay. That uh it opens the end of this month. Uh, oh. The end of March, and What's that called? it's called Lake by Frank Gilroy, who um, you may or may not know. He won a Pulitzer Prize oh. in like the '60s for a play. My my director is gonna kill me for not knowing the name of it. <laughs> but the fun fact about him is his sons are Tony and Dan Gilroy. I was about to ask that because as soon as you hear Gilroy, I think right. of those two guys. Right. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. That. Well, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so was that something that you were really itching to do, or how'd that come about? Yes and no. I mean, I I hadn't done theater acting in years, like a, probably seven, eight, nine years. And the director was a, an old personal friend of mine, and he had another actor drop out last minute. And so he didn't ask me right away. He was like, hey, do you know of anybody who might be interested? I found out later he was basically asking me if I was interested uh. without saying it. And I read the script, and it was very interesting. It's about this lake town in New Jersey, and it's about, like, right around 1940, 1941, so right before the U.S. goes into the war, Mm. and it sort of takes place around the community. So you meet, like, 30 to 40 different characters and have all their different experiences and things like that. That sounds pretty ambitious. Yeah, it's it's a big play, it's a big cast, and it's it's funny because... The turnaround is quick. I mean, I, I got the part end of January, and now it's going to be up end of March. Wow. 
Okay. Are you playing? Is it like a thing where they play multiple characters? Correct. Okay. Mo- most people, I'm playing. I only play two characters. Most of the other actors are playing like five to six to seven characters, and it's quick. Like you know, you come in and you just put on a different hat, you put on a different hmm. shirt, and then you're a different character. Okay. So even though there's a lot of concentration into it. You're not just having to focus on one character. No, it's it's kind of like a like a tableau of that whole time period. I mean, I think the best comparison is um, Our Town hmm. or plays like that that are sort of like the whole community and the town itself is the character, and then all the the you know people kind of come and go as as the story dictates. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh wow, that that's interesting. I, I didn't know that that you, yeah, great. Well, I hope to see that. Um, yeah. So what else are, are you still uh, are you still into sports? Very much. Because <laughs> uh, that was one part of our conversation that uh, the last time that I thought was kind of funny, uh, me going on about hockey. And, uh... <laughs> I still, I mean, I have to say, like, I still don't know much about hockey. I will watch it, especially when it comes to the playoffs. I know the mm. Devils are decent this year. They're better-ish. Right. They're, they're, they're kind of teetering on the edge of they might make it, they might not make right. it. Like, it, I, I just saw, actually this week I went to a game. Oh, cool. Where they played, uh, yeah, they... they what happened was they played uh, the Canadians, mm-hmm. Montreal Canadians, who are really bad. Oh, <laughs> like, they okay. are like th- this season. They are just. It's almost the kind of thing where, e- even the, sometimes I'll watch a hockey game and I'll be like, "Well, I mean, maybe this game is is not bad, but they're doing okay. This game, mm-hmm. maybe they, maybe they're just trying to do well against this. Maybe they feel this." No, watching the Canes, they were bad. Like, <laughs> I could tell they were just. And the thing is, the Devils are sometimes, you know, I I love them, but I kind of sometimes feel like a parent. Like I'm like, like you're... try harder, come on, guys. Like that yeah, kind of... <laughs> exactly. Like you're, you're you're really sucking this game. Um, and uh, but then like the, the Devils did win, but it was the kind of win where. They should have, like, it should have been a blowout. <laughs> and then, oh, okay. Like, they, they, like, squeaked by and it shouldn't have been that close? Well, uh, near the end, it kind of got a little too mm-hmm. close. For a lot of the game, they were way ahead. It was also the kind of thing where, I don't know, like, because you've probably been to some live sporting events. Yeah. If you get, like, the cluster of fans who are for the other team. Right. <laughs> right near you. And right. there was, like, at our game, there was a cluster of, like, 20 teenage girls who are all for the canadians what what are they doing in new jersey yeah i don't know well i mean i guess new jersey isn't that far from from true yeah that's true but the thing was it was like anytime you know that it was like six to one and then all of a sudden like the canadians score a goal and you would think they were like at a justin bieber concert (laughs) (laughs) like they're like ah I mean, are there are there any super attractive players on the Canadians? Like, is there a reason that uh, they have such a huge I, I don't know. young girl well, fan well, no, base? I think it's just because in Canada, hockey is just True. so much bigger. Just hockey is king. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, and especially the Canadians, they're they're the kind of team that again, I don't know all the the details, but they I used think, to be good, right? Like, well, no, well, no. The idea was that they had like this streak where they won like Stanley Cup after Stanley right, Cup right. for years and years, but at the same time, that was when there weren't really that many teams i see like so that was back when maybe there were like six or seven hockey teams all together so they would just win over and over again so they have like this big legacy but they haven't been good for a long time oh jeez. but but the point like so like the rangers hey yeah well or actually more like the islanders i would say at one point i was uh at the the game it was funny because i mentioned to 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 my wife i i turned to Corey and i said 
oh, devils are, I hope they don't suck too much in this game. And somebody behind me heard me. He's like, don't you talk about the devils. And Whoa. Yeah. And he wasn't like, I, I guess he was half kidding, half serious. Right. But then he said, at least you're not a Rangers fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that, are the Rangers the devil's biggest rival? Like, who's the biggest rival to the devils? Oh, that's a good question. I think actually it's funny because... If you have, like, because there was a game I, uh, I, I, I was at the gym actually recently, and on the TV there was like a game between the Rangers and the Flyers. Okay. And I wasn't sure who to work for because actually I think the Flyers are even more hated because oh. they well, it's are. Philly. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird thing with Philly teams. Like, yeah. And I'm sure you noticed this with the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, well, it Philly was... fans for the most part are they, they can be very like they booed Santa Claus. I mean, they they <laughs> wait what? Yeah, it was I think a Super Bowl or it was something. This is like going back 30 years, and I forget what the reason was, but like Santa Claus came out onto the field and they started booing him. <laughs> they might have even thrown snowballs at him. It's on oh, YouTube somewhere. Oh, was that back when the halftime was super lame? It might have been, and they would bring out like. The, the marching Christ- bands, or, or something? yeah, or like the Christian chorus from Des Moines. <laughs> it might have been like I, I, I don't know what the context was. I just know that they booed Santa Claus, <laughs> and they're just like notoriously t- like tough on their own players and team. I mean, obviously, like they won the Super Bowl. I'm happy because I hate the Patriots. Yeah, but... yeah. Ultimately, when I was asked, like, well, who do you want? Like, who do you want to win more? And I. And I'm, I, I guess I can say that I'm a vague Giants fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a Giants which, fan, too. Yeah. I mean, like, I, again, I don't really watch that many games, but it, I mean, if I have to, then I'll say the Giants. And I know that the Flyers are, not the Flyers, the, the, the Eagles. The Eagles, yeah. thank you. I was blanking for a second there. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from Philly, from, I was about to say Phillies now, um, from <laughs> Eagles fans. They all They're all the together. same. They all play all board together. Um, no. Um, yeah, I, the Eagles, I know, are supposed to be our rivals, but at the same time, in my head, I thought, well, no, the, the Pats cheat. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're more scumbags. I mean, and I, and the... also, they, they won so many years in a row, so it was like, no, they, they, I, I'm not rooting for them. That's I the thing. Like, I, I don't like the Patriots. I respect their longevity. I respect how good Tom Brady is. I'm so happy someone else won. That's kind of what it came down to. I just wanted new blood at yeah. this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so is that still, like, um, are sports kind of part of your, uh, like, other profession, too? Or are you just kind of interested in them as Yeah, it's more of, like, an outlet. I mean, I, I definitely probably watch too much sports. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm one of those guys that does get up at 7 in the morning to watch a soccer match, like, that ah. kind of thing. Because I just, sports, to me, remains one of the great unscripted things in our life that you can watch it and be surprised i mean so much of especially talking politics talking things like that so much of what happens is so depressing Mm. because we see it coming and we know like oh this is not going to be good news every time i get an alert on my phone and i see washington post or new york times i'm like great what crime happened today Mm -hmm. so being able to watch sports even if my team wins or loses it's just fun to have an experience that Mm -hmm. is unpredictable yeah and is enjoyable i think there's kind of two sides to the coin i think Sports can sometimes be taken way too seriously. Of course, like they, they, like a sports team. The way that people say, you know, we got to do better. Right. We got to do much right. better. Like they're on the team. Yeah. Right. Like you're not on the team, guy. You're right. sitting on a couch with a bag of Doritos. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but on the other hand, as you said, it is a release. Like I can, yeah. if I've been kind of on my Twitter or Facebook and just seeing 
the right. constant insane story thing. after insane story, right? Yeah, and how you know it never stops. Like it, right. it's just constantly surreal shit happening with our country, <laughs> right? Um, you know, constantly breaking news. Um, to just sit down and watch, you know, like the Yankees play or something, right? You know, it helps a release, I think. Which I'm so excited to watch the Yankees play this year. I, I think they're going to be very good. And now that uh, Girardi's gone, right? Yeah, they got Aaron Boone now as their uh, manager. Is he I mean, supposed to be good? Well, that, they don't know. He's never managed before. That That's what's kind of interesting about baseball specifically. A lot of teams have basically decided they're going to hire ex-players and hire guys that haven't managed before because there's this theory that now the general managers are basically running these teams and mm. the managers are there more to just sort of like build the chemistry and like keep the players happy but not actually make big decisions so boone is an open an open book like we don't know what he's going to do or say i mean he's got a hell of a lot of talent around him he seems like a nice guy we'll have to see what he actually does game to game though yeah no and maybe sometimes just having a new voice or, or for sure point of view is good especially if you've had so many years with the same guy you need to switch it up or something. for sure and you know it's always with the yankees it always feels like especially the past few years it's like you always feel like you're so good, and you're about to get up into the playoff area, and then it's just I know. choke. I mean, what I what I love about the team now, though, is that they're young, they're homegrown. Like, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, there I were was... a couple of players that I noticed last season where I was like, oh, right. okay. And that, that's that's what's exciting. I mean, again, I think that's another that's how fans get so attached to a team or to they become the we, because you grow up with some of these guys. Like, oh, I yeah. remember I became a Yankee fan you know, when I, when I was like two or three, that's when I first became aware of sports in the Don Yankees. Mattingly. Don Mattingly, yes. exactly. And then Bernie Williams and players like that. And because they were there the whole time from yeah. the system. You know, when you brought in your Jason Giambis and even your A-Rods, good players. But like, I, I didn't think they were like our team. They were just these guys yeah. that came in. Yeah, no, no. So they, that's what's nice now is like Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino. They're guys that came through the system. God, Gary, you know, it's. This is a side note, but uh, whenever I hear the name Gary Sanchez, I actually I think of the r- most random thing because that's the name of Will Ferrell's production company. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Is he a big Yankee fan? I don't know. No, I don't think it has anything to do with that. It's just a random name. Gary like, Sanchez. You gotta look it up. Like, yeah, his, his production company is called Gary Sanchez. <laughs> I don't know why. Huh. <laughs> it must be some in joke from you know twenty yeah. years ago or it's something. Some, it, it's like some kind of weird sexual joke that nobody. Yeah, gets. well, that's. I mean, that's the other thing people think when they hear Sanchez. But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't want to go there. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, to, just to, I guess to wrap things up. Uh, so so once again, your your movie's playing uh, next Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Go go. Uh, Instead of uh, uh, worshiping your alcohol, why don't you worship uh, a different a movie? Yeah, or you know, or get a couple drinks, then come to the movie, yeah. and uh, get sobered and, up, and then go back out. Yeah, and so you said it's uh, one more time. So it's in Inwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's the what's the street? I don't off the top of my head. I don't have the information in front of me. It's um, the Inwood Arts Festival. Okay, um, we'll, we'll post it on the on the Facebook. Page. Okay, and our our screenings at four thirty p.m. Mm-hmm. And I believe tickets are still available. And it would be great to see anybody that wants to come down and check out the movie. Um, I'll be there. Most of the cast, most of the crew will be there. There's a Q&A after as well. Cool. So great. it should be exciting. Yeah, man. And uh, and congratulations Thank as you. well. Because you know, the first feature, you know, you, you, you learn a lot. Yeah. And, 
you know, more so just you, know, you learn what you like, I feel like, more than, you know, even though you've learned sometimes the mistakes that happen along the way, it's also a great process of, okay, so here, here's my voice. Mm-hmm. Well, know? what did you, so, I mean, what did you learn on your first feature? Well, uh, oh, God, where do I start with that? <laughs> I think that, uh, um, I think I learned maybe at times how to be a better communicator, mm-hmm. um, how, you know, maybe ways to... Uh, to, to talk to actors because mm-hmm. maybe because I wasn't a, profe- a professional actor, maybe I could have found ways to sometimes exp- express things a little bit better. Okay. Um, so or, not like uh, your character from that Star Wars. Oh movie no movie? no no no! I wasn't like that. I, I think I'd like to think I'm a little bit. I'd like to think I'm a little more chill and less uh, Terrence Malicky than <laughs> the character in Star Wars behind the saber. Uh, God, that. Character. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gang act with you in that. Just by use the, way. the force. Come yeah. on, you use it. Yeah, for those uh, that's actually on YouTube. If you want to check that out, actually. We had a really great scene in that. That too. was a fun shoot. Yeah, like I, I just, uh, yeah, that was a case where, uh, yeah, that was, and that was all. I think pretty. I, I, no, I think there was a script, but it felt like there was improv in it. No, I think it was scripted. But yeah, you, you really pulled off uh, Mr. Disney. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and who would have thought that? Like a year. I mean, this is a completely other thing. But like, how now? you know disney and star wars and they basically like conglomerized the movie business they have like five different series that they're putting together now all at the same time well you know, yeah i think there's a tv series there's going to be another new trilogy from ryan johnson another one with the game of thrones guys yeah i i kind of wonder if though if they're gonna over if like oversaturate over, yeah i think it's too much i think what made star wars a little special was that you had to wait I agree. a few years to see it and you know the, the reason why if force awakens had come out three years after revenge of the sith it wouldn't have made like a, right like the the two billion dollars it would have done well but i think that because you waited 10 years right you had more anticipation and, you know it's like and that's why uh, it, it's weird that pe- there are actually there are people who are like last jedi failed what this, yeah there are some people like this that made that was the ninth highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> that movie just I mean, I, I personally enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was I really it. I thought it was really well made. I thought it told a beautiful story. I think it just people thought it was gonna be like a fan service movie. And the fact that it you know, there were certain things that I thought were odd. You know, Mary Poppins in space was odd. Nah, um was... it was fine. I what I what I think my theory to that is that I think they might have wanted to kill her off there and then just felt like that wasn't enough so they needed more scene. either that or they shot things out of sequence and then when she did pass away in real life they're like this can't be her death scene right here so i i just felt weird tonally for me to have her do that come back and then be like in a coma for 40 minutes hmm. maybe I, I didn't really see that that being that weird but uh i can't wait to watch it again though um I know we were going off track yeah, there for no. a second, but uh, but yeah, no, and I, I look forward to uh, the next thing that you do, man. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, and um, and I forget, do you have do you have a site that you'd like to plug or anything like that? I do. It's it's my name. It's devontcloss.com. Devontcloss.com, right? Um, yeah, and you could check out, uh, uh, and we'll also there there should be a trailer as well for for the movie, right? Correct. Okay, and I'll make yeah. sure to post that too. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always reach us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. 
until next time, uh, once again, I'm Jack, and The Wages of Cinema is Death. <laughs>